Welcome, friends, and thank you for listening. I'm Scott Sullivan, Discipleship Catalyst with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, and our team exists to strengthen Georgia Baptist churches in the area of discipleship. We've developed three tools just for you. The Watershed Principle, which identifies the six main ministries of the church that must be healthy to produce world-impacting disciple-makers. The Spark Conference. Last year's conference saw over 33,000 views from 45 different states and 18 countries. This year's conference will premiere on August the 12th with best-selling author Tony Evans, Ben Mandrell, president of Lifeway, and David Kinneman, the president of the Barna Group. We also have learning communities that are set up throughout Georgia, which exist to help you finish the task of leading your family in ministry well. You can see our website to find one near you. Also, every Thursday at 3 p.m., you can catch this broadcast through Facebook, Instagram, or multiple podcast platforms. Now, let's join today's broadcast. Welcome, Disciple Makers. Thank you for engaging with us, and we want to hear from you, so please do a couple of things for us. Drop a comment below to let us know where you're watching from and get entered into the drawing for free product at the end of the broadcast. Now, we also want you to share this link if you find it helpful so that we can maximize gospel reach and impact as we bring to you quality discussions each week. Now, today we're going to be discussing one of the hottest topics that's been circulating around church leaders really for probably the past decade or longer. Um, Aaron Earls is the senior editor for Lifeway, and um, he's gonna, he wrote a blog that was top 10 characteristics of churches that keep young adults. Obviously, we have struggled with this for more than a decade, decades of being able to keep our young adults when they leave and they go to college and get into young adulthood. And there's a lot of been written about why things are that way and all the problems with it. Um, Aaron, I want to bring you on here now. And the thing that I appreciate about what you've done um, is that you have created a blog that is focused on the why they, it's kind of like Steve Parr's book when he wrote that book, this why they stay. You have focused on the positive data of really what we've done right. So Aaron, welcome, my friend. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Scott. You betcha. So do this for a second. Just take it 60 seconds. Tell us about what you do at Lifeway Research, and maybe a little bit about the the data, the study behind the blog, t- top 10 characteristics of churches that keep young adults. Sure. So I'm the senior writer and editor at LifewayResearch.com. And so what I see my role there is taking the excellent statistics and data that our research team develops and, and goes out and talks to churchgoers, pastors about, and then taking that and kind of translating it into some practical information, some things that church leaders and, and pastors can take away. And if you're a pastor or a church leader, you've got a million different things you're trying to do. It can be really difficult to learn the ins and outs of research and all those things. And so hopefully what I, I can do is I can go and talk to our researchers that know all that stuff, that have decades of experience and education in those areas. And I, all right, explain this to me. Explain it to me like I'm five. Help me understand what these numbers mean. And so I can do that. And hopefully what I can do is, is take what, you know, kind of their explanation for it and then kind of translate that and say, okay, here, church leader, pastor, this is what this research is. This is what it means. This is what it says. And here's some practical takeaways that you can take this research and apply this to your church, your ministry there in your area. And so that's kind of what led to this article about 10 characteristics of churches that keep young adults is Life of Research did this huge study of 
young adults that stayed, they, they started off, you know, we're going to find, you know, young adults that attended church for at least one year as a teenager and ask them, all right, are you attending church now? Did you drop out? Are you still there? And so looking at that and kind of interpreting that data with that, you've got two in three that attend church as a, as a teenager drop out as a young adult. Hmm. And so at some point they're dropping out of church, one in three stayed. And so what I wanted to do was, you know, look at this research and say, all right, are there some things that kind of unite and, and kind of tie together those churches that, that kept young adults, you know, the, the churches, the one in three, like what, 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 what characteristics kind of do they share about their churches? And so I wanted to look at that and kind of see right, what can I, can I give the church to say, these are the things that kept young adults there. And not just for church leaders, honestly, this is a, a personal matter for me. I have, I have two teenage sons and I, I want my church to be a church that, you know, that they feel involved in, they're invested in, in places they feel that they value and they feel valued. And so, you know, I wanted to take that, provide that for myself and for our church and also divide it for other church leaders so they can take it and say, all right, what can we apply for our church, for our congregation that can help us kind of retain the young adults that we have here in our, in our church? Absolutely. And I'm right there with you. I've got two older kids and two younger. So this topic is huge for me, uh, not just from a disciple maker standpoint with Georgia Baptist churches and 3,400 churches, but just as a dad and a local church leader as well. Now, listen, um, you mentioned 10 words in the blog for local church leaders to consider if they want to really create the atmosphere where young people remain engaged in the local church life. So here's my question. Two of those words, to me, as I read it, um, they're different, and you have different perspectives, but they, they, they're similar, and they're moving in the same direction, and they were sincere and authentic. So unpack for us uh, why these concepts are so critical for the local church to understand and to portray that if they want to keep a connection with that younger generation. Sure. I, I think one of the things that's encouraging to me, you know, I grew up in a small you know, dead end road, tiny church, you know, in South Carolina, it's where I grew up. And, you know, we didn't have all the gigantic programming, our, our student ministry wasn't huge. And so I, I think churches can get um, discouraged, if, you know, if they're not, if they don't have all the latest, greatest, you know, gadgets and programs and their church ministry, you know, their student ministry is at 3000 people and all those things. So many of these, these characteristics, including this, you know, sincerity and, and authenticity, there's stuff you can cultivate in a church of 50 people. It's, it's not things, you know, that those huge student gr groups and ministry didn't have a really a statistical impact on retaining young adults. It's these characteristics. And you mentioned sincerity and authenticity, and they were, you know, two of the big ones. They can be kind of buzzwords that people slap on top of things, you know, oh, we're sincere, oh, we're authentic, oh, we're authentic, authentic. Um, but I, I, you, these have to be characteristics that the teenagers actually see in the congregation. They're not marketing slogans. They're not, you know, things that, that your church says about themselves. There's things that teenagers see. And so if they see a church that's insincere, inauthentic, they're more likely to drop out. Uh, a lot of the times uh, adults can assume that teenagers want leaders to tell them what they, just what they want to hear. You know, you, you know, the teenagers, they, they feel like, you know, oh, if we just kind of, you know, feed them, you know, the stuff they want, that, that that'll keep them around. The research seems to say the opposite. Um, so, you know, what I would encourage pastors and student ministry leaders to do is to just work to cultivate genuineness and honesty with your teenagers, you know, have hard conversations, but, but honest conversations, you know, don't work to be something that you're not, you know, build yourself and be your church as something that, you know, that, that you don't really have, you know, work to live up to the values you proclaim, 
Um, and I, I think that resonates with teenagers. You know, they're, they're looking for, they see the shiny overproduced stuff out there and, and, and they've seen enough of that. I think, and I think this research says they really resonate with churches that are seeking to be sincere and that they can tell, care about them, you know, on a personal level, they're not looking at them as a number. They're not looking at them as somebody to, you know, to bulk up, you know, whatever statistics they may have for their congregation. They're, they're looking at the, you know, they, they want to see churches that care about them as individuals and that really value them in that way. Yeah, for sure. I love the Hottie Lewis's comment when I was interviewing him. He said, authenticity is the apologetic of our day. Mm-hmm. It's like the idea that that authentic church requires authentic believers mm-hmm. whose life matches their teaching. And I just, man, Aaron, I feel like we've lost, you know, a, a, a portion, a majority of the last two generations of younger people who are looking to the church to lead by example, not just to talk it, but to live that out and show that, man, this Christian life really is worth the effort. And there really is power when you are involved in the word of God and a person of prayer and the Holy Spirit is driving who you are and what you do. Great thought there. Now, here's another question. Um, Another word, a concept or phrase that you use in this article says avoiding hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. Now, this is you know, can be so damaging, obviously. We've talked about this for years, really for lifetimes. Mm-hmm. And I hear so much, Aaron, when people make comments like, man, the church is full of hypocrites. Mm-hmm. You know, and every time I hear that, I'm like, you know, I agree with that. And and like, I'm the chief of those because I am, you know, none of us live up to really the model of, of Jesus example, you know, so what, we are going to be hypocritical. Here's my question. When you think about the tension that's evolved there, Help our listeners understand how a church can guard against the the hypocrisy that's so prevalent in the church experience. Yeah, and so just kind of look at at the statistics of it. You know, one in five who stayed in church described their church that they grew up as hypocritical. For those that dropped out, it jumped to one in three. And so this is a significant issue for teenagers as far as what kind of pushes them to stay or leave. Um, You know, I think we can get caught up in you know, looking at hypocrisy is like, well, that just means I've got to be perfect. Well, that's not really what they're looking for. One of the things I wrote in the piece was that the next generation isn't looking for perfection from a church, but they do want honesty and integrity. And I think so often, you know, we've been conditioned to, you know, we've got to hide our faults and we can't let anybody know that we're hurting. We can't let anybody know that we're struggling. We can't let anybody know that we're doubting anything. And, you know, teenagers recognize that, that everybody struggles. Everybody has doubts, yeah. but when they see, you know, leaders and, and pastors pretend as if that's not the case or pretend as if everybody else is the one that's struggling and doubting, then, you know, then they, they know something's up and they, they, they see past that. And so, you know, I think it matters that those in leadership at church live up to those values. I mean, we see so many times where, you know, unfortunately just recently we've seen so many church leaders, you know, fall and have their, you know, kind of platforms be stripped away from them for their own personal sin and so one of the things that God's really been hammering in, 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 on me and in my heart lately is to make sure that my character is more sturdy than my platform. You know, mm. if we're, you know, if pastors and church leaders have been given a platform to speak God's truth in the life of the congregation, including young adults, we have to make sure that we're on the back end, putting that time in behind the scenes for our own relationship with God and our own, our own personal integrity so that we're building that up. You know, we're not concerned necessarily with, 
our reputation, we're concerned about our character, making sure that follows. And so I think, you know, teenagers can see that. They can see when people are being you know, authentic and they can see when people are not being that and being hypocritical in the way that they, you know, apply, you know, certain biblical standards or judgments and those things. Yeah, that's good. I, you know, to your point, I think that many of us as leaders and disciple makers, we may need to be less incredible and more credible mm. in our approach and the way that we live. Here's another your blog mentions that 38% of those studies said that the church was judgmental. And uh, we've heard that and we've battled against that. My question to you on this point is, how can a church avoid that crippling experience of coming across as judgmental? But here's the tension. We don't want to come across as judgmental, but for the believer, there is a biblical concept of, of holding people accountable. Mm-hmm. You see the tension that I'm dealing with there? What would you say to that local church leader? Absolutely. So, yeah. So if you look at the research, so 38% of those that dropped out said that their church was judgmental versus 26% that stayed there. And so, you know, we're dealing a lot of this with the perceptions of teenagers, young adults. So that can be a little bit tricky. You know, they may not have the whole picture of everything that's happening, but that shouldn't then stop us as church leaders from examining ourselves and our hearts and our congregation to make sure, okay, is there some truth to what, you know, what they're saying? And so, you know, I, I kind of go back to, to Paul. Like, are we speaking the truth in love? As he said in Ephesians, you know, going back to the hypocrisy thing, you know, are we removing the log from our own eye before we seek to take the speck of someone else's? I mean, so the easy answer would be, you know, to live out the Sermon on the Mount. And that'd be the easy answer to kind of all, all this. Um, but I think it goes back to, you know, we talked about authenticity. You know, the next generation is looking, not looking for a church that hides what they believe, but they do want us to be consistent in how we apply our standards and our principles. You know, I think I think if you see it, if a teenager sees sees a church that's consistent, uh, they're, they're consistent in, in what they say, consistent in what they do, consistent in how they apply those things. I think we do them a disservice if we don't think they can recognize the difference between biblical church discipline and worldly judgmentalism. You know, I, I think they can. They're smart enough to see the difference there. If they see a church that's con- being consistent in what they say and what they do and how they apply those biblical standards, I think they're smart enough to recognize the difference between being judgmental and really trying to apply church, you know, church discipline and church standards. Yes, yes, and amen. I I love that concept. I love that word. And, you know, I think for many of us that that lead in the local church or have that responsibility, I think it's good to remember that people who are not believers are going to act like unbelievers. So our, our role in the church is not holding them accountable, but for in the church, we do to your, what you mentioned there is we do in a loving way, hold our people accountable. And man, that was so good when you, cause you mentioned the concept of when we're consistent, that's when we hold credibility and people can believe in the church. And my goodness, has there ever been a day that our community and our church members need to be, to believe in who the church, the big C church is. Hey, one more um, comment question here for you. So I've said for years that the most attractive element of a healthy growing church might be unity. When you think about the community looking at us as the church, that, that it may be that the most attractive element for us is to be unified. So help the local church leader, uh, those who are listening, viewing, um, with some practical examples of the importance of unity um, as we attempt, attempt to reach this younger generation. Sure. I think if you look at it, um, I think there's two levels that look at it on the, the micro level. If you're a teenager, 
like you're in high school and you're dealing with all the different cliques and groups and things that, that, you know, you're not part of that group. You're part of this group. You're not, you know, and there's so many cliques they have to navigate. It can be exhausting. You know, I remember, you know, just being in high school was as long ago as that was for me, you know, th there's a lot of work that's involved in that of trying to appeal and appear like you fit in the right group. That's exhausting. And so, you know, the last thing a teacher wants to do is deal with that all week at school and then have to come and deal with that at church on Sunday and with student ministry. And so, you know, just working through that on, on a you know, personal level, but honestly, if you look even broader than that, you know, if you look at our country and how much there, how much division is out there uh, across so many levels, how much, you know, if a teenager can look and they see the division in their schools, the division at the, you know, in, in the nation, they see division everywhere. You know, so many parents are breaking up and divorce is rampant. And so all these different things that are happening, this teenagers, teenagers seeing this division everywhere, but they come to church and it's real and it's honest and they're unified. Like how much, how attractive is that going to be, you know, to every generation, but especially the next generation, you know, how much is that going to draw them in and make them want to be part of something that they see like you know, these people, they, they love each other. They believe you know, what they say, they're living it out. They're unified in that. That's something I want to be a part of, you know, I want to be part of that as an adult and, I, and you know, teenagers the same way. They won't be a part of that. Um, but I think even beyond that, just as a general thing, so there's a most recent uh, American congregation study. And one of the things they found was the serious lack of conflict. So if a, if a church hasn't had conflict in the last five years, that's one of the top seven predictors of church growth. Mm. So if, if your church is not, if your church is fighting and divided, you're not growing. And so that, that's going to be, you know, both for, you know, adults and for teenagers. But I, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think unity is, even more so than ever, obviously it's always been a thing. Jesus, Jesus prayed that his followers would be one and be united. So that's obviously a huge, you know, concern of Jesus' heart. Uh, so I think there's been a, a, a case since the history of the church has been that way. But I think even more so today, how much more that unity is needed and can help you know, retain our, our young adults and, and reach out to our community as well. That's so great. Listen, Aaron Earl, uh, Lifeway Senior Research Editor and Writer, we appreciate you being here with us, buddy. This is this topic is so timely. It is so important. You've given some great ideas, great research behind some of the problems that we're dealing with. And uh, so just thank you for jumping on with us. Now, friends, listen, if you've got other questions that you're interested or things you're struggling with, please put that in the comment. We want to continue to interact with you through the comments over the next few days. Uh, so big thank you to Aaron Earls and also for Mike Taylor, who's our producer today. And my prayer for you, friends, as you go throughout the rest of your day, your evening, and through the weekend, is that you will reinvest the gospel seed that was shared with you so that we can make world-impacting disciple makers. Thanks for listening to Georgia Baptist Discipleship Podcast, and we want to give you a gift. The five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can get this by going to ministryboom.com forward slash the number five discipleship shifts.com that's ministryboom.com forward slash the number five discipleship shifts.com this five page pdf is a discipleship alignment checklist that may surprise you it will help you learn why programs are killing your discipleship the number one default worker strategy that keeps churches from empowering their ministries Learn the OGV factor and how it can revolutionize discipleship, attendance, and evangelism in your church. 
Again, go to ministryboom.com forward slash the number five, discipleshipshifts.com. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptist to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org forward slash discipleship. And by the way, if you found this content helpful, we sure hope you'll share it with a friend. And thanks so much for partnering with us to make world-impacting disciple-makers.